adjusting to change. Did you know there's actually a phobia? I can't pronounce it. I looked it up. It starts with the Greek word meta, which means change, and ends with phobia. Uh, a fear that certain people have and are overwhelmed with when change takes place. The seven last words of a dying church are, we never did it that way before. Baptist churches usually don't like change. How many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb in the church? It takes four. It takes one to install it and three to reminisce for how good and wonderful the old light bulb was. But folks like it or not, things change. Our church is going through a change. I think it's going to be a wonderful change. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the best known passage in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, adjusting to change. We have an outline in your bulletin too. And uh, first, we must realize change is inevitable. I mean, we might as well stop grumbling about change. We might as well stop being anxious and worrisome about change because change is inevitable in this life. Solomon, as he writes the book of Ecclesiastes, says in verse 1, to everything there is a season. I like that translation because usually times of change don't just last for a minute or two. They last for a season, just like there are different seasons in our climate. And they all contribute to having uh, good crops and agriculture and environment. Uh, they're different seasons of change in our life. A time, and that word means a specific time for every purpose under heaven. Now, notice that phrase, under heaven, because it'll help you understand the book of Ecclesiastes. Whenever Solomon speaks about something under heaven, such as in our passage today, he's seeing life with God in it. He's seeing life under heaven from God's viewpoint. Those are the best passages. Now, on the other hand, he sometimes speaks with the phrase, under the sun. And when you read what he writes after he says, under the sun, he's picturing life without God. For example, turn back to chapter 2 in Ecclesiastes and look at verse 11. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and on the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit, look at this, under the sun. Under the sun means life without God. And life without God ends up being a big zero. It is vanity. There's no real purpose in life. Now what he does in verses 2 through 8 is in these seven verses, and seven is the word or the number of completeness. Uh, he may not name every different change in life, but I think he's summing up under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit just about every area of life. 
family life, physical life, social life, spiritual life, and so on, emotional life. And uh, in these seven verses, he lists 28 changes that come to life. Let's look at them. Verse 2, a time to be born and a time to die. And you know, you don't have a lot of control over either one of those. The emphasis here is that God is in control. God is on the throne. A time to plant and a time to pluck or harvest what is planted. And one of the emphasis here is you need to know what time it is. Henry Blackaby was a fellow who God used several years ago to bring about some revival in the Southern Baptist Convention. And some of you have gone through his course. And he was one of the first ones to come up with this saying, and I cannot forget it. Find out where God is working and join him. Now, basically, we don't control a lot of changes that come to our life. And God is in control. And so when a change comes to our life, we need to back up prayerfully, meditatively, and scripturally, and seek to find, God, how do you want me to respond to this particular season? I grew up on a farm. This scripture is especially applicable to me, a time to plant and a time to harvest. When springtime came, you better plant. You better plant. You better know what time it is. And when uh, fall came, you better harvest. You better get out there and you better uh, pick that cotton and you better combine those beans before it gets too much winter and too wet and too muddy. Let's read on. Verse 3, a time to kill. This word could mean die from disease and a time to heal. I don't know why God heals some people as Christians and doesn't heal others. And yet I realize they get the ultimate healing when they go to heaven. They will not have any regrets. A time to break down and a time to build up. I was reminded of when I was here the first time of that old white building that was just to the west of this building. It's just a parking lot now. It was right in front of the Fisherville Baptist Church Cemetery out there, the Fisherville Cemetery. And it stood there for years. And uh, it was time for us to build a new educational building. And so the educational building that is on the back of this building was built, I think it was around 1984. And it really hurt a lot of our hearts and especially some of the older folks, uh, not too many are as old as Ralph Burroughs, but like Brother Ralph and all of us because they grew up in that church. But they knew it was time to tear that building down. We incorporated a lot of the material, by the way, in the prayer room. The wood, the windows, and so many things. And that was a special touch. It was time for that building to be taken down and time for a new building because of the growth to be built up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. I'm suspicious of somebody that's happy all the time. Just excuse me, I am. 
And I don't know where this idea came about that Christians are supposed to just be happy all the time. There is a time to laugh. Did you know the Bible says God laughs? I personally am very glad that there's a time to laugh. The book of Proverbs says it's good for the soul sometime to laugh. I hope that we all have times that we can laugh. But there's a time also to weep. No, I'm sorry. It's a time I've got mixed up here. A time to weep. God gave us tear ducts for a reason. You don't have to come to church when you've lost a loved one. You don't have to uh, come to church and try to act like you're really all happy when you are not happy. Be who you are. Be real. Be genuine. There's a time to weep, and then there is a time to laugh. Now, he carries it even deeper. Mourning is deeper than weeping. And, and dancing even is more expressive than last, laughing. But he says there's a time to mourn. I've been told by people who've lost children and spouses that it usually takes a year just before they really quit their initial mourning. That's okay. There's a time to mourn. But don't live in mourning. And there's a time to dance. I was hoping Solomon was a Baptist, but apparently he wasn't. Now, don't kick me out. Well, you can't really kick me out. I've only got another week or so anyway, but we had some couples who wanted to be married here, but they said, well, we can't have our reception in the regnet because we want to have a first dance. The bride and groom wanted to dance, you know, an appropriate dance. And I didn't tell you about it, but I told them about it. I said, you can have a dance. Now, we don't have a dance as such, but folks, that's a time to dance. And it's really a time to laugh, too, because some of these grooms don't know any more about how to dance than a man in the moon. <laughs> There's a time to cast away stones. They would have to, in the Mideast, they would have to clear the fields for planting by removing the stones. But on the other hand, they would need to build fences out of stones and have boundary lines. So there's also a time to gather stones. There's a time to embrace. That's the way they said hello in the Middle East and still do by hugging one another. And uh, then there's a time to refrain from embracing. Don't wear your welcome out with people. A time to gain. There's a time to work and to make money. And then there's a time to be willing to let go of that money. Uh, what else does it say here? I've got a footnote, especially during the offering on Sunday morning. All right, a time to, is that the way you want me to say it, Brother Gary? All right, a time to keep. I don't hear many amens from the men. Uh, you ever have a pack rat? You know, uh, don't become a hoarder though, because look at the contrast. There's a time to throw away. There's a tear, maybe working diligently. You tear your clothes. Maybe this is an expression of their mourning and that time of uh, life. And then a time to sew those up. There's a time, oh, don't we need this one. We need to highlight this one, every one of us, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. 
We don't always have to say something. We don't always have to have the last word. We don't always have to try to convince people our opinion is the best opinion. Look at this, a time to love and a time to hate. Now, we're not to hate people. Read First John. But you can hate the behavior of certain people. I hate it when I hear the Lord's name taken in vain. Um, I hate to think about abortion, don't you? And uh, so there is a time. Something's wrong with us if there are certain things that we don't hate. And a time of war and a time of peace. We're in war right now. It's a weird war with terrorism. I wish some of our politicians would wake up and realize uh, that uh, we can't play games with this stuff. Uh, but thank God we're not in a like World War One or Two or Vietnam War or a Korean War or something like that. Gary, I asked Gary to lead our prayer time last Wednesday night. And I was so moved because y'all lived in New York for a while, didn't you, Gary? And that shooting had just taken, not shooting, but the running over of those folks in New York had just taken place. And I'm sure Gary and Tana knew exactly where that was and had driven over that thing many times. And he just was broken down and burdened about uh, the violence and the war type atmosphere in our world today. But there is a time of war and there is a time of peace. So change is inevitable. And I've taken way too long on this. So I'm going to have to hurry up with my next few points. Secondly, remember God has a purpose. How do you handle change? Where's the change of uh, getting a new pastor down the road? How, how do you handle change? Whether it's church change, personal change, physical change, financial change. Just realize it's a part of life. It's inevitable, okay? Accept it, realize it. Secondly, remember God has a purpose. Now, these things that are listed are not just random things that happen in life with no purpose. Go back to verse 1. To everything there is a season. There are purposes for the four seasons we have. And if you don't have a winter that's really a cold winter, then watch out because the fleas and the ticks and the bugs the next year are going to be bad. There's a purpose for every season, a reason. And there's a purpose for changes that come into our life. A time for every, and I like the King James here, purpose under the heaven. Look at verse 17 of this uh, chapter. For there is a time there for every purpose and every work. And uh, also, uh, to, I call this the Romans 8.28 of Ecclesiastes. Now, it doesn't say all changes are good, but it says that God can fill that change with purpose and meaning. It's Romans 8.28 in Ecclesiastes, and that is, for we know this, that all things, even changes, can work together for good to those who what? Love God and who are the called according to his purpose. So remember, God has a purpose. Three, keep an eternal perspective. Verse 11 uh, in this particular passage. He has made everything beautiful in its time. And this has to do with God. He has a purpose. And he will make lemonade out of lemons. 
and he has put eternity in their heart. Look at verse 14. I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Have you ever wondered why the early New Testament Christians, most of them were poor, most of them were being persecuted. Have you ever wondered why they seem to be happier and more joyful than we are in America today with all we've got? I'm going to tell you why. They live with their eyes on heaven. They kept an eternal perspective. And when you lose that eternal perspective, you're not going to really experience life like God wants it to be experienced. 2 Corinthians 4.18 While we do not look at the things that are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Don't let earthly changes be the thermostat of your life. For the things that are seen are just temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And then the fourth thing I see from this passage, adjusting to change. Realize change is inevitable. It's going to happen. Secondly, remember God has a purpose. Thirdly, keep an eternal perspective. Fourthly, trust God and don't try to figure everything out. And that's in verse 11 also. He says in the last part of that verse, no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. One scholar said the reason that he says he's put eternity in their hearts is the Old Testament didn't see eternity quite like we do. He saw it more as uh, what's going to happen in the future. People want to know What's going to happen in my life? How much longer do I have to live? You know, one of the reasons that I'm retiring, and really I don't plan to get out of the ministry, hopefully ever, but um, when I was thinking about it and I was praying about it, and no one knew this basically except a few people and my wife, but I had people out of the clear blue sit down and talk to me and say, Brother Jack, don't wait too late because uh, I know somebody and they wanted to make sure everything was just right when they retired and, and uh, they were going to do this and going to do that and one of them got cancer and died. I don't know how many folks begin to tell me things like that. I hope that wasn't a prophecy. I hope that's not one of the changing times the Lord's going to bring to me, but if he is, that's okay. I need to have an eternal perspective about it. It's just a temporary thing. This whole life is just a temporary thing down here. But don't, you, you can drive yourselves batty trying to completely figure out why God has this change come into my life. The Bible says you, you'll never fully know that probably. And remember, he's a God of eternity. Some of these things will not be known to us fully until we are in heaven. And there'll be no regrets. The passage that's a classic, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. My dad uh, 
rode motorcycles before he got married. He had an Indian motorcycle right after the service. It was very mechanical. And, uh, and he wanted me to have a motorcycle when I was about the ninth grade or so. And, uh, but, but believe me, I never would buy my son a motorcycle. I lived in Drew, Mississippi. And uh, believe me, we only had one or two red lights. But boy, in the Memphis traffic, uh-uh. I never would buy my son a motorcycle. He begged, he pleaded. And then he rides and breaks horses. It's, well, I don't know what you're going to do with him. But anyway, uh, so we, we researched it, and he said, there is a motorcycle, it's called a, du- a Ducati, and it's made in Italy, and there's a fellow in Greenwood, and you pick it out in a magazine, and they send it in in a crate, and he puts it together. It was a beautiful motorcycle. So that's the one we settled on. I still remember going over to Greenwood when it came in and sitting there and watching this guy who had put them together so many times take that, the parts of that motorcycle out of that crate. And I thought, this looks like a mess. And he would assemble this to this, and I would think, you need to do the other first. You know? It just it did, didn't make much sense to me, but when it was finished, it was a beautiful Ducati 125. It was the prettiest motorcycle in Drew and the slowest one, too. I guess the sovereignty of God was in that. <laughs> didn't like it then. During times of change, you'll never usually figure everything out. That's why, and I, I don't want to forget this, because you skip over to verse 14, and it says at the end of this, God does it that men should fear before him. And you know the word fear means reverentially trust him. Just trust him. I don't fully understand it, God, but this time has come, and I'm trusting you. And I know you've got a purpose in it. And I'm not going to let it pull me down because I'm going to keep an eternal perspective. Let's stand and pray together. Maybe you're going through a pretty radical change in your life right now. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's in your job. Maybe it's in your health. And I hope and pray God will use His Word from Ecclesiastes to encourage our hearts today. Now Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we can stand on the unchanging solid rock, and I'm so glad we can. But in this life, on this earth, until we get to heaven, there's going to be changes of all kinds. Some that are good, some that aren't good. But as Christians who know the Lord Jesus as our personal Savior, we can trust God even when we can't figure Him out. Look at Calvary and know He loves you. He gave His only Son to die for you. We can trust Him. We can submit to His will in our life and praise Him and glorify Him and be a witness for Him. We can do those kind of things and I pray that we would. If there's anyone here today and you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, your life is vanity. You're just living your life under the sun. Without God, it was never intended to be lived like that. Don't you want to start living your life under heaven? 
with God as your Lord. If you do not know Christ as your Savior, will you come during the invitation time today and make that decision? And we do pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Ronnie, let's sing a hymn of invitation.